my good people, greetings, how are we, what is happening, what is going on, hope you had a great weekend and hope your week is off to a tremendous start, I know in Philadelphia that's not the case and we'll certainly get into all of what happened last night, especially north of the border in the T-Dot, here on the latest edition of the J-Reels podcast, I am your host, J-Reels, discussing everything that's going on in the world of sports, so if this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much for giving a listen to what it is I have to say and welcome you guys aboard, and as well as those who have been with me on this journey from episode 1 to now 69. Yes, my birth year, so get your heads out of the gutter. 6-9 in full effect on a Monday, May the 13th in the year of our Lord, 2019. And what we have to discuss, the NHL now in full swing with the conference finals. The Bruins are just two games away from getting back to a Stanley Cup final for the first time since 2013. We'll get into if Carolina... For everything that happened in the previous series, sweeping the Islanders, did the layoff hurt them? Well, we may uh, have to say that could be the case, but we'll touch on the NHL. Of course, all the baseball, Yankees continue to roll, winning two out of three down in Tampa as they come home to host the Orioles and the Rays this week. The Mets, on the other hand, had an abbreviated series with the weather yesterday as they go now to the nation's capital and back down to Miami this week. We'll also talk about what's happening. Why not? The PGA, that's right, we'll preview the PGA, which is right in our backyard here, Beth Page Black, I'll say that again, Beth Page Black, the golf course out in Long Island, Tiger, off of the momentum from the Masters, we'll get a little preview and uh, get a little feel for what's going to take place as the second big golf major of the year will be headlining on Thursday, just a few days away, and obviously we got to get into all the basketball, including, get ready, Nick fans, tomorrow night is the night you've been waiting for. Do you feel good? Do you feel confident? Do you feel as if Patrick Ewing on the dais is going to bring that good luck that he did to your franchise 34 years ago? We'll talk about that. But the playoffs are front and center. And after a dreadful first round, the NBA hit the mother load, especially yesterday. And just when you thought that game six with Houston and Golden State, as great as that game was, no Kevin Durant and everything that happened down the stretch, Steph Curry's electric 33-point uh, performance in the second half of that game. It was upstaged by what took place north of the border. I'll call it the shot in dot. I understand people want to say the shot heard around the world, and rightfully so, because as historic as it was, the first ever buzzer-beating Game 7 victorious shot off the fingertips of Kawhi Leonard, which just captivated a series with so many ebbs and flows whether it was Philadelphia being dominant in Game 3 behind the 33-10 and 10 from Joel Embiid, him being under the weather, not performing the way a top talent in this league should, me getting on his case for all of his histrionics and him being a frontrunner. And I will get to the Sixers side in a minute. But as far as the Raptors are concerned, this would have been a brutal loss for their franchise considering we don't know what's going to happen in this offseason with Kawhi Leonard. And for them to pull out this victory the way they did, and I I understand we could get through all the ins and outs of the games, how Serge Ibaka was just enormous in this game, hitting big shots, 17 points, and I believe he had nine boards. Kyle Lowry, who went out with an injury, came back, obviously gave you everything that he got. Pascal Siakam made a contribution, although he hadn't been effective in the series, but when you have a game like this, despite the fact that Kawhi Leonard was the guy, and you could just see by the stat sheet, He was willing to take not only the 12 men on the team, but the whole city, organization, and probably the whole province of Ontario on his shoulders to will this team 
to the victory. And we're going to get to the shot in a second. And it just goes to show you, I'm actually recording this in my apartment. So if you hear that hissing in the background, of course, only in New York on May 13th, do you hear the heat come on. So if you hear that hiss, don't adjust your volume or don't adjust your settings on your phone or your tablet or wherever you may be listening to uh, this to. So it's just going to be temporary. But now, as I'm at a key point in this podcast here, discussing this game, discussing everything that's happening with this organization and how Toronto needed to get this in the worst way. And it was tooth and nail down the stretch. Kawhi actually missed a big free throw. It could have went up by three. The game was at 90, 89, uh, 90, 88, where Jimmy Butler passed up on the three, gets the layup there, ties the game. And then, of course, in the final seconds, we all know what happened. And before I even get into the shot, I was thinking to myself, you knew he was going to get the ball. Kawhi, at that point, was 15 for 38. And we've never seen Kawhi Leonard in any way, shape, or form. Even in the heyday of the Spurs, I can't recall a regular season game where Kawhi Leonard said, "Uh uh-uh, I'll be damned if my team is not going to come out with the victory at the end of four quarters, let alone get it into overtime. And sure enough, he did by the tune of 41 points on 39 shots, which is not good. But the two things that you take away from in this performance is that A, if he's willing to carry a team, right. He's not the guy that's like a Kevin Durant. He's not the pure scorer like him. He's not the guy that's like LeBron James who's been there, done that several times. And this isn't to knock Kawhi Leonard because we all know he's a 2014 Finals MVP. He had that great Game 7 in 2013, the first time that the Heat and the Spurs played in that back-to-back. Go look at his stats. He was phenomenal in that Game 7. And he was, I believe, 21 years old at the time. He was a rookie. So here you have this performance here where he said, the heck with this, give me the ball, I'm taking us home. So that's number one. You look at that as an organization or you look at that as a fan and you say, wow, Kawhi, he's got the, let's just call it as it is, the testosterone or as today, the testicular fortitude to take his team home. And then number two, that he was willing to take that shot. Because if you watch that game, there was nobody, no one on that team that wanted to take any big shots. And it's funny because when you look at some of the other games, in particular the Portland-Denver, which we'll get to that in a moment, there isn't that one guy that has that irrational confidence that says, you know what, I don't care. I'm going to shoot it 100 times if I have to. And Kawhi was that guy that made you open your eyes to say, not only you knew he was a max player, but just seeing that effort and seeing what it took for him to not only take that shot, make that shot, but also the other 38 shots before that makes you say, hey, as an organization, I'm pushing all my chips to the middle of the table on this guy. And who knows? Maybe that was in the back of his mind going into that game, knowing that he couldn't even think about coming up short because he knows deep down inside that if he came up, let's say a three for 17, like Damian Lillard had, or you know a 10 for 30 type of game and they lost, that would have hurt his value going into free agency this offseason. I'm sure deep down inside, that was somewhere in the back of his mind. Because nobody has ever seen a display, a shooting display, from Kawhi Leonard in his career. And obviously I haven't gone through all his games, but has there ever been a game in his career that he shot the ball 39 times in a game? Probably not in the Popovich era when he played there. And this is obviously his first year in Toronto. So that goes to show you that maybe he's taken that extra step, that extra leap where he, you, if you never thought before last night's game, that he wasn't able to carry the mail? Well, he certainly did. 
And then some. And then the shot itself, I mean, what could you say? Hollywood wouldn't have even bought that script to say the ball, the arc, the bounce off the rim to the other side, back again, one more time, and then through the hoop. That's just straight up out of, again, that's a movie script. So for that to happen, and a lot of that had to do with the way Joel Embiid defended that shot. Because as we all know, Joel Embiid 7-2 with a long wingspan. And for Kawhi to get that shot past him, he had to arc it so high where I think at the apex was 18.6 feet in the air. So the minute it came down on the rim, and I'm sure everybody have seen the shot, it almost, the ball just like was dead on the rim. And of course it bounced. But because it was so high and the way, and I'm not a physicist by any stretch of the imagination, but watching basketball all these years, it almost as if like the, because it was so high, it factored into the way the ball bounced a few times before it went through the hoop. Because if it was just, let's say, a normal, whatever the average trajectory of a shot would be, let's say if it was 14 feet, maybe it just would have clunked and bounced out and that was it. But because it was so high and it landed on the rim a certain way that it just had that one bounce where it almost seemed like the ball was dead, like it was just deflated. And then it just bounced to the other side of the rim, and then it came back, and then one more time, and then through. It was just unbelievable. And for Kevin Harlan and Greg Anthony, for that response, obviously they were fans at that point, because they certainly weren't commentators, and that's what made the moment that much more special, especially if you're a Toronto fan. Because as you all know, they've been in existence 23 years, They've made a couple of conference finals, which LeBron has broken their heart. And the biggest moment in their franchise up until last night was Vince Carter missing that shot in 20, 2001, Game 7, when he went to North Carolina, if you remember, that morning to a ceremony. I believe it was a graduation and came back and then had that chance to take his team to play at that time. And ironically, the Milwaukee Bucks to play in a Eastern Conference final. But it came up short. And now here it is. Kawhi making that shot to play the Milwaukee Bucks in an Eastern Conference Final. So Toronto, you rejoice. If somehow, some way you get past the Bucks and beat Golden State or Portland to win their first ever championship, they're going to look at this shot and it's going to be it's going to be remembered forever anyway because of the magnitude. I understand it's a conference semifinal, but because it's the first of its only kind. A Game 7 buzzer beating Victoria shot. It'll be remembered forever. But imagine you put a championship on top of this. Woo! And the closest thing I could think of this shot. I know people are going to look at the Michael Jordan, Craig Elo. But remember, that was a Game 5. That was best of 5 back in 89. But the closest that I remember was the 2004 Conference Semifinals between the Lakers and the Spurs where Derek Fisher with .4 seconds left took the inbounds, literally did a 180, just threw it up, and it went in, bottom of the net. And then, of course, he and Kobe and everybody else ran off the court because they figured that, oh, geez, we don't want to have to worry about replay. And back then, yeah, replay was in effect. So the shot was off, the shot was good, we all know. And remember, that was just a game five, which was critical because then the Lakers ended up winning in six before they moved on. They beat the Timberwolves and then lost in the NBA Finals to the Detroit Pistons. But to me, that was the closest. I I couldn't think of any buzzer-beating type shot that was such a series-changing, and in this case, it was series-closing. There wasn't... You can't compare it to anything. 
And that was the first thing I thought of after watching that shot. And kudos to Kawhi, kudos to Toronto for gutting it out. And on the flip side of that, listen, I've killed the Sixers and their coach all along. As of right now, and I'm recording this actually late today because I had a physical early on. Got to check on your health, people. You know how I feel about that. I had uh, a doctor's appointment, so when I came back, and I'm recording this right now, it is currently 1.57 p.m. Usually, I'm done with my podcasts by this time, and it's already posted. But how I looked at it was, is Brett Brown going to be dismissed because of this? He shouldn't. He should get one more year. I get that the ownership wanted to go deeper into the postseason, and technically they did. I mean, two games deeper, because last year they lost in five in this round. But that is just a crush, and that could happen to any team, unfortunately. So Brett Brown, he should he should and deserves to live to see another day, but next year is it for him. I don't know what his contract status is. I don't know if he has a couple more years. I couldn't even tell you. But if he's a lame duck, then that's what it's going to be. If I'm the Sixers, because as I said last week, after them losing that game four in Philadelphia, I said the process is here. There's no more process. It's time to deliver. And listen, they delivered in a game six, give it up, and Bede was good, Simmons was better. And then last night, what do you do? You just tip your cap. But the one thing that's going to change with this team is the personnel. And you don't you wouldn't think that they're going to bring back both Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. You gotta remember JJ Reddick is also a guy that's a free agent. Ben Simmons, if I'm him right now, I'd be in the gym shooting jumpers. He has to. Or he has to have some sort of post-up game and have a turnaround jumper. He's 6'10". You know, he's not 6'3", 6'4", 6'7". He's 6'10". And I'm just going to say this about Embiid. The crying after the game, I understand people want to get in his case. Oh, look at this, big baby. And I like Embiid as a player. He has a lot of growing up to do. I've slaughtered him on this podcast, if you've heard the last couple of weeks. And rightfully so. Because... All he's shown so far in his young career that he's a front-running player. As evidenced by game... All you got to do is just look at game three of the series, 33 and 10, and then 6 o'clock in the morning, he's texting his coach, I don't think I'm going to play. Come on. You're going to go up... You could go up 3-1 in this series, and I understand you may be on fumes a little bit, but as I said last week, what are you doing? Are you going through the drive-thru too much, my guy? I mean, what's happening? But I'll put that aside for now. But when you see the emotion that Embiid exhibited last night... Especially with the Marcus Salting. He's trying to console him. All I could say to you, Joel, props to you, my man. I know it hurts, it stings. And you know what? I feel for you. I want players to have that type of emotion. I want them to care. I don't want it to be a thing where they fraternize everybody off the court. Hey, all right, hey, best of luck. All right, great. Remember what Embiid did last year after he lost to the Celtics? He didn't congratulate anybody. He went right to the locker room. And here, he was just despondent, crestfallen, any adjective you want to use, and rightfully so. But here's the thing. Now, he needs to refocus, change his diet. He's got to stop the shenanigans with trying to get into Twitter wars with Andre Drummond and guys that are a little bit below him as far as, I don't want to say talent. That's not to knock Andre Drummond, but you get what I'm saying. Because Joel Embiid has all first-team All-NBA talent. And I understand part of his coaching because he shouldn't be on the perimeter three-quarters of the time. He needs to be down low in the post. And I get that it's not that type of game, everybody. I understand. I watch basketball. But still, if his presence is down low, just like Giannis is, then guess what? Utilize it. Let them come to the double team, pick and pop, or whatever it is, and let them drain threes. It's fine. And you don't have a bunch of shooters on your team as it is to begin with. We all know Ben Simmons. I know Reddick's a three-point shooter. Tobias Harris, he had a series to forget. 
And Jimmy Butler's not really a three-point threat. So if I were them, I'd bring Redick back. That's number one. But anyway, but back to Embiid. How I look at it is, for him to have that emotion yesterday, and he's got to wear that the rest of his career, and rightfully so, I think it's a good thing, but guess what? He's got to turn that around, and he has to be a force that the scene has, that the league hasn't seen in quite some time. And that's the way you turn it around. So as I was saying, no more Twitter wars. Let's not act silly in front of your peers. Let's not yuck it up when you're up by 15 points and everything is good. No. Now it should be total F-U-D-N-A like Giannis did against the Celtics and say, I'm taking over. Enough of the funny stuff. Enough of the shenanigans. Now, I don't care if my mother's in the way. If it's about winning a game, it's about winning a series, about winning a championship, I need to go through her in order for me to get my goal. And that's it. If he has that mentality, the guy will be unstoppable. But sadly, the only thing that's stopping him is himself. So that's the deal with the Sixers. We can get into all the offseason stuff, but we'll wait till later on. But again, their, their team's going to change. As we go to the other Game 7 yesterday, Portland and Denver. I know if you're a Denver fan, not as bad as Philly, but when you're up 17 in the first half, and then they chip away to cut it to 9 at the half, where Portland takes the lead at the end of the third quarter, and I'm sure you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, you know, we're at home. Yeah, they came back, but we'll somehow, some way, pull it through. And they didn't. When you shoot two for, was it two for 24 from the three-point line, and including missing your last 16, that's all you need to know. And to top that all off, the free throw disparity, forget about how many shots were taken. Portland was 20 for 24 from the line. Denver missed 11 free throws. So they beat themselves. Give credit to Portland. You have to. And give credit to them for what they did there on Friday night to bring this series back to Denver. But if you're a Nugget fan, I know Nikola Jokic did whatever he could. He's a guy that's going to be unstoppable in this league. But Jamal Murray did nothing. Jamal Murray was a guy that's supposed to be the, I don't want to say he's a 1A, but he's, he's a number two guy on this team. And he floats in and out of these games. Yesterday was 4 for 18. I'm not trying to say that this guy had to be super efficient with the ball, but he couldn't make a shot to save his life. The rest of the team wasn't that, they weren't any better. Gary Harris. Uh, what could you say? It was just a tough loss for a team that had the best home record in the NBA that gutted out a first-round series against a Spur team, which is not the same Spur team, but still, when you have a coach with Popovich and their resources, they somehow, some way, they, they bring out the best in your ability. And it's just a tough way to lose a season. Because I'm sure a lot of people thought, and I thought too, I thought Denver was going to win yesterday. I picked both of the home teams. And for Portland, with a subpar Damian Lillard, I get that he hit a couple threes in the fourth quarter, but when you're 3-for-17 in a big game, you, obviously, you need contributions from other players, and they got that. Whether it was Game 6, Rodney Hood contributing. Oh, what, he had 22 points in that game. You also had C.J. McCollum, who was a guy, and he even said it. He said, I want the ball. I'm a guy from Lehigh. Nobody gets drafted from Lehigh. I didn't feel any pressure. I wanted to take us home, and he did. 17 for 29, 37 points in a Game 7 on the road. Give it up. You got to. He put Dame Lillard in the back seat. And good for Lillard because they know they're one of the more potent 
backcourts in the NBA. He also knows that despite the fact that he is the team's best player, but somebody else stepped up in a big spot. And I understand, and again, he hit a couple big threes. So it's not as if he did nothing, but when you shoot three for 17 for the game and you came all the way back from a 17-point deficit and wasn't pretty much on your watch, well, it was on your watch because you played in the game, but not because you had any production, it says something. It doesn't say a lot, it doesn't say everything, but it says something. And guess what? You're going to need to go firing on all cylinders in this next round because obviously you're going up against a team that has the pedigree. And now they make their... And also McCollum with his block too. How could I forget that? That block there late. Well, it was about maybe about four minutes ago. It was LeBron-esque. He even said that in the post game. So give it up for Portland. That is a huge win for that organization. They haven't been to a conference final since 2000 and they were that close to going to an NBA final if you remember that. Oof. I was rooting for them big time. Well, they were 15 in the fourth quarter and then they, they couldn't hit a shot to save their lives. And then they lose to the Lakers and the Lakers beat Indiana in the final that year. But if you're the Nuggets, you're hurting today. Millsap's probably going to be gone. He did nothing in the game either. And you, you definitely need that second scorer. I don't know if Jamal Murray could be that guy. I understand he's young and you know, he still has some room for improvement. But Denver isn't the sexiest destination for any of these free agents that are coming out this year. But I tell you, imagine if you had a guy like Kawhi Leonard or even Kyrie Irving for that matter. And you put Murray at the two, that'd be an interesting team. But again, Denver isn't LA, Denver isn't New York, Denver isn't some of the other destinations where people are going to think not only where they want to live, but chances for a championship. But Denver's not far. They're not. So give it up. Portland, do they have a shot here against Golden State? I don't think so. Even with Durant out. I can see Golden State winning in five. If it goes six, eh, could it go six? Yeah, but I'm going to say five. Portland probably won one of the games, but I can see it now. Portland will be close in game one, and then somehow, some way, they'll just screw it up. Golden State will go winning, you know, going away late. Blazers can win a game three. Warriors will gut out a game four, and then of course, game five will just be uh, a coronation at the Oracle. And as far as the other series is concerned, I can't see how Toronto with Giannis, Chris Middleton. Now Brogdon's back in the mix. I understand they got now five. They're going to have almost a week off. They actually will have a week off because they're playing their you know, game ones on Wednesday. Uh, Toronto's going to be a tough out without question. They are going to be a tough out, but they're going to need a lot from Kyle Lowry. They're going to need a lot more from Marcus Hall. And there's no way, shape, or form that Kawhi's going to play 46 minutes a night and shoot 30 to 35 shots a night. There's no way. Now, they got away with it yesterday because nobody else wanted the ball, but they can't live and die that way. Because if they do, they're they're not going to have a slow death. They're going to have a quick death. I I could say Bucks and 5-2. I hope not. I'd want to see long series with both of them. But you know what? I'll say Toronto only because there could be some hangover from this, but at the same time, I can see them coming out fast and furious now that they'll get it. A couple of days here to take a big deep breath, let go of the series, and get ready for this one. Maybe Milwaukee comes out a little flat, a la game one against the Celtics. So maybe they could steal another one. I'll, you know, I'll say Bucks and six. And then you're going to have Bucks and Warriors for a an NBA final. And if that does come to fruition, we'll certainly get into all that then. But finally, let me talk about this Houston Golden State game. I know, like, I've spent 23 minutes about the NBA here, which is great. And I got 
a few other things to get to, which I'm not going to get into super detail. As far as, you know, Mets, Yankees, what could you say? It's still early for baseball. And even though I got on the Mets last week, but still, Mets, I got some issues with them. But again, we'll talk about that a little bit later. As far as Houston Golden State, I'm just going to say this real quick. You just saw, even without Kevin Durant, the heart of a champion. And Stephen Curry, who had zero points in that first half, 21 in the fourth quarter for 33 total points, making big shot after big shot. Clay Thompson, who had 21 points in that first half. And I will say this, and I got, I've, that's it. I'm just cut, cut right to the chase. If Danny Ainge was smart, and chances are he's not going to go there, he'd be the perfect Celtic. I've said it for years. You could get my cousin JD on, even my brother Justin, who's never been on the podcast. I've said, first and foremost, if there was a guy that would be a perfect Celtic, it would be him. Selfless, great shooter, great defender, pretty much Brad Stevens, that's his guy. That would be the perfect, if Brad Stevens, I'm sure, could pick one player in the league, I, of course, they would probably pick LeBron or Giannis, I get that. But a guy who's a wing player who could shoot and defend, there's your guy. But it's not going to happen. But anyway, that's just a pipe dream. But when you have Thompson, what he did in the first half, and then he had the biggest shot in the game at 107-104, even though Curry's heroics there in that fourth quarter. And I'm going to say this about James Harden. Now, his Game 7 performance wasn't as bad as some of the other closeout performances, whether it was last year or the Game 6 against San Antonio the year before that or the Game 6 in L.A. when they were down uh, 19 to the Clippers, to the Chris Paulette Clippers, and Josh Smith and Corey Brewer, of all people, brought him back from the dead while he was sitting on the bench. This performance, although it doesn't rank up there with that, but he was very sloppy in this fourth quarter of the game. Yes, he ended up getting a three and he got a layup there late in the game. The game was kind of out of reach. But at the same time, for him to take that offensive uh, charge there with about two minutes to go, then the inbound, the inbounds pass where Clay Thompson stole the ball. Points didn't come out of that, but still, just where was his head at there? And then with 8.9, I understand they were down by six at that point. But with 8.9, he gets the ball, he dribbles us off his foot, and it was Iguodala picks up the ball. I mean, Harden, I, that's the thing. Harden in January, February, March, he'll dazzle you. He'll he'll do everything. He's a guy where even with his step back threes, which are travels, let's face it, he can light up the scoreboard. But when the money's on the line, the guy is nowhere to be found. Nowhere. And Chris Paul, give him credit. He had a phenomenal game. 27 points, 11 rebounds. Give it up to him. And I've gotten on his player profile as far as his uh, playoff is concerned. <clears throat> Excuse me, the back of his playoff basketball card. Chris Paul, it's also less than stellar. But I'll give it up for him in this uh, particular situation. But what beat... The Rockets, this time around, was the bench of the Warriors. Their bench outshone the Rocket bench, by far. Leaps and bounds. Whether you're Kevon Looney, whether you're Sean Livingston, whether you're Andre Iguodala with five three-pointers in Game 6, and then to flip that, where was Clint Capella in the game? <clears throat> I know he's a starter, but still, he was a guy that, oh, I want the Warriors? Well, <laughs> he got him, and look what happened. You also look at Eric Gordon, did not have a good Game 6 and really didn't have a good series. Austin Rivers, uh, the list goes on and on. And that's why they lost. And then D'Antoni, how could Gerald Green take the most important shot of the game at 107-104 is beyond me. I, I just, I, I mean, geez. And that's, to me, that's D'Antoni. That's not a product of Gerald Green. When he took that three, I'm thinking to myself, what, wait, what, what's happening? So there you go. 
there's your rocket season and obviously they're going to have another long bitter off season to deal with this they can certainly play with the Warriors but they can't beat them and not when it's when it matters so alright let's go through a couple of uh, NBA things well let's start off with this one Nick fans I know you're on pins and needles you are now about 30 30 hours from the NBA lottery Patrick Ewing will be at the dais I believe it's in Chicago and every Nick fans collective breath is going to be held. Now they can't do no worse than five. So once you get to pick five, that's when the beads of sweat, that's when the knuckles are going to get a little white. That's when you're going to take that big deep breath and hope and pray before you get the commercial break. Cause you all know once they get to pass the fourth pick and it's the top three to go to commercial to build a suspense, etc. And Nick fans, what do you think? I know a lot of Nick fans are, I won't say skeptical, uh, discouraged, do not have a lot of faith. Maybe with Ewing there, who knows, considering what happened 34 years ago, Dave DeBusher with the fist pump, knowing that the number one pick was theirs and obviously who they were going to draft. So one step at a time before we start thinking about, oh, let's say they do get the number one pick. Is that enough to bring Kyrie and Kevin Durant here, and if does that mean that would they trade him for Anthony Davis? Well, let's, let's get by the lottery first, and then we'll dissect it all after that. So, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I hope the Knicks get the number one pick. I understand all the bandwagons will come out in full force, because New York is a fair-weather town. I don't care what people say. I am sorry. I've been a New Yorker tried and true, but let's face it. This is the biggest fair-weather town on the planet. And even though they're good fans, they are. But you haven't seen a Nick jersey, a Nick hat, a Nick anything in eons. If Zion, if they get the number one pick, if they win this lottery, I kid you not. Start counting how many blue and orange Nick gear you're going to see the next day. Mark my words if you live in the Northeast. Case closed. So we'll see how that shakes down there uh, next Tuesday night. If they do win the lottery, or next Tuesday night, tomorrow night. Here I am thinking it's next Tuesday. Hello, Jay Reels. Rewind. I don't know, if somehow, some way they do get the number one pick, maybe I'll come on, I'll put up a, an emergency pod just to get my thoughts, feelings, and I'll probably echo the same sentiments I just said here, but uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how this uh, unfolds. Uh, the one thing I will say is I hope that the Lakers do not get the number one pick, and I can see it being rigged where the Lakers get the number one pick considering everything that's happened with them, and that's a good segue because last week it was reported that Tyron Lou was uh, going to be the next in line to... Man the sidelines for the Los Angeles Lakers. But considering that, A, they were only willing to offer three years at $18 million and he wanted a five-year deal, which I believe rightfully so. He wanted that little bit more security considering that he does have a resume, I understand, based on the back of LeBron James, but still won a championship, down 3-1. We know the whole deal. But he balked at that and there were rumors about Jason Kidd. He had to be part of the staff to nurture a one Lonzo Ball. But he said, uh-uh, no good. So instead, they hire Frank Vogel, the former Indiana Pacer and Orlando Magic coach. He has a good relationship with LeBron James, dating back to the 08 Olympic team. So Vogel now in the mix, and Jason Kidd as well. So very early in the game, we'll see what happens down the road. But now your Laker coach is in uh, full effect. Speaking of uh, head coaching positions, uh, John Beeline, the former Michigan University of Michigan basketball coach is now the coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the owner, Dan Gilbert, goes into the college ranks to pluck a guy who, let's face it, has had a very good resume, 
I'm going to say he's been a long-time college coach. Who knows how that's going to translate to the pros. So I think it was a shrewd move. Let's see how that uh, all shakes down and especially what type of draft pick they're going to get this coming year because they should be in the same boat with the Knicks. They can't go any lower than five and could actually get a top pick. But listen, they already got LeBron James a million years ago and considering Anthony Bennett, also Kyrie Irving, they've had a million number one picks. So please, they don't need any more number one picks. And one last thing, let's see. Oh, speaking of LeBron, I know there's been even whispers about trading LeBron. He doesn't have a, as we all know, no trade contract or he doesn't have a no trade. Would they do that? I don't think they would. I'd be shocked if they did. But you know what? It would be wise. Let's just say for argument's sake, they do get a top pick. Are they going to win a title in the next few years? Are they going to resign these retreads like they did last year? The JaVale McGee's, the Rondos, the Lance Stevenson's? No. And we know Kevin Durant's not going to go there. Maybe Kyrie. Who knows? I didn't think Kyrie would even think about going there. But there's been also possible rumors. Everything with the Knicks and the Lakers. Who knows? But anyway... Uh, that's also been floated out there as far as a rumor of LeBron maybe even being traded. I think that'd be silly for the Lakers to do, but it's not my team. Who cares? You know, and at least the more that the Lakers lose, the better, because as we all know, I can't stand them. And uh, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty much it for the basketball. So listen, I spent 30 minutes just on that. So let me uh, turn my attention. We'll go to the other side of the playoff spectrum in the NHL. The Boston Bruins have been dominant here in these first two games. I understand they were down 2-1 going into the third period, but they had back-to-back power plays, two early penalties by Carolina, which resulted in goals for the Boston Bruins, and that propelled them to a 5-2 win in game number one. And then they just took them to the back of the woodshed and just exposed Carolina big time. And just like I said in the Islanders series, because remember... When the Islanders had those 10 days off after they swept Pittsburgh and then they played Carolina, who remember, they went to a seven-game series and an overtime seven-game series against the Capitals. The one thing I thought about was, geez, well, all this time off is going to kill them. And as we saw, the Islanders did get swept, but they were in the first three games. They, I'll say they should have won game two. I mean, obviously, posts and crossbars, that's part of the game. They didn't get the goals. We get that. And the officiating in that game was questionable, to say the least. But the Islanders didn't look flat. They came out storming. They had chances. They weren't able to capitalize. Carolina obviously got all the bounces of their right way. Everything. And then by the time he got to Game 3, and especially Game 4, I mean, that was it. So that's when the Islanders ran out of gas. And as far as this series is concerned, is that Carolina didn't even show up after the second period of Game 1. And now you have a situation where, listen, they've been in this boat before. They were down 0-2 to Washington before they won for the next five. But the Bruin team, this team is, talk about a team clicking on all cylinders. Now, granted, they had a little hiccup there in the series before with uh, Columbus. And remember, they had to go seven games against the Maple Leafs. But they've been valiant here in this postseason. And they're a team that looks like, you know, Tuka Rask has obviously performed well as this postseason has gone along. So, you would think that the Bruins are... Listen, the the series is not over. I'm not trying to say that, oh, it's all over. Start getting your uh, Stanley Cup tickets uh, up in Beantown. But you would think that the Bruins, all they got to do is win win one of the next two. Even if they lose the next two, they'll still have home ice. But this team doesn't look like they're fooling around, as evidenced by the game yesterday. Now they have to do it on the road. But they've been able to win big road games, as we've seen. They were down 3-2 going to Toronto, and they won that game. And then, obviously, the closeout game in Columbus... 
And especially when they were down 2-1 in that series and they won a game four at uh, Columbus. So Bruins are definitely showing what they're made of. And then the San Jose Sharks beating St. Louis there on uh, Saturday night. They'll have game two tonight where they had a third goal second period. Uh, Timo Meyer was the guy who had both of those goals to take the lead over the Blues in that game. And then they went on to cruise to a 6-3 game. I picked San Jose beginning of the year. I said San Jose-Toronto for those who remember it for my Stanley Cup final. And St. Louis, hey, listen, they've been tough. They've been feisty. I could see them coming back and winning this game. I could see it being a long series. It's easy to say right now that the Bruins series could be a short one. Maybe Carolina. Listen, I could say five. But at the same time, with St. Louis and San Jose, I could see that going seven games also. You know, San Jose's been to both of their first round series. Or first two series have gone seven games. Vegas and the last series against Colorado. So why would that change here? You know, maybe they dispose of St. Louis in five or six. I doubt it. I could see it being a long series. And St. Louis has obviously had a very good postseason as well. So we'll uh, certainly keep our eyes focused on that as we move along. As far as the baseball is concerned, the Yankees, I mean, what could you say? The Yankees just continue to march on, continue to win these games. They won three out of four against Seattle last week. And what a week for Gio Urshela. He had the game-tying home run there Tuesday night. He had the key hit there Friday night against Tampa. And he had a big hit that extended the lead yesterday after Tyro Estrada hit the home run there to make it 3-1. He has just certainly come in and has paid big-time dividends for a team that, as we all know, has been depleted. Now, they'll get one of their regulars back tonight in Aaron Hicks. Remember, he's been on the shelf since day one with a back injury. Well, you know, with that back strain. So he'll be inserted in the lineup if they do get the game in tonight. As I said earlier, it's uh, cold, dark, raw, and rainy New York the last couple of days. So we'll see if they get it in. Now it's against the Orioles. So if they don't get the game in tonight, they'll make it up at some point down uh, the road. And they also have Tampa coming back in this coming Friday. But the one team, and interestingly enough, the one team that had the slow start, that started off their season 11 games on the road all on the west coast and now all of a sudden it's like hey remember us the red sox now the red sox they'll play the yankees next week or oh, i believe it's after the memorial day weekend yes in fact it is because san diego comes in for the memorial day uh monday tuesday wednesday and then the red sox come in after that so that's gonna be a fascinating series from that regard and remember the yankees beat him the first two games earlier when they visited uh, the stadium last month but now the red sox are getting themselves righted back on the beam we understand no closer or not a closer among the likes of Craig Kimbrell who they once had last year as we all know but now the Red Sox look like they're going to be a force and will have a say in this AL East race which will make it that much more fascinating now a lot of people will think that with Tyler Glass now who had a 6-0 start who lost the game there Friday night against the Yankees who had the now who left the game with an injury who's going to be on the shelf four to six weeks with an arm, and with Tampa, as we all know, they do not have the resources, nor can they afford any key injuries to any key players, especially their pitching staff, because that's what, you know, you look at him, Blake Snell, guys like that, and they have very good lunch pail for what it's worth, because baseball, you don't really have like those lunch pail guys, but you have grinders. I guess that's maybe the best way to put it. So when the Rays lose a pitcher like that, a guy who's made dividends or has contributed vastly to this uh, pitching staff and to their hot start now to have him on the shelf for minimum four to six weeks 
and you don't, if you're that organization, if you're that fan base, there's five of you out there, you know that you don't want to have any type of stretch where you lose those key players because chances are you're not going to be in the race for long. Now, maybe they'll be in a wild card mix. Who knows? But again, if the Yankees and Red Sox are going to take off, guess what? Wherever that third or that second wild card, it could come from that division, but chances are it may come from the central with Minnesota getting off to such a good start and giving themselves a little cushion that they're four games ahead of the Cleveland Indians. And the same for the Houston Astros now have a six and a half game lead in their division. So there's been some separation in both of those divisions. And even though Tampa will probably be in the mix for quite some time, but again, they can't afford to have any injuries like they've suffered over the weekend. But as far as the Yankees are concerned, I mean, that's what you have there. You know, Ursula, like I said, he's been a guy that has done above and beyond what any fan, manager, GM, etc. could ever expect. And you just only hope it continues to pick up. And that's what this Yankee team has been. They've literally been a team because it's been one guy after the next. If it's not Tyro Estrada, it's DJ LeMahieu. If it's not LeMahieu, it's the aforementioned several times, Gio Urshela. If it's not him... Then, of course, from the pitching staff is Domingo Herman, who now has seven wins, the most in Major League Baseball. You know, if Batances isn't going to pick it up, then Tommy Canely. It's just, it's again, there's the resources, it's the, the teamwork. They certainly have done more than hold their own, and now they just only hope to get their regulars back and firing at where the Yankees will normally be with uh, once they get all their guys healthy and back in the mix. And as far as the Mets are concerned, now they had lost two out of three last week. I know Pete Alonso had the home run there at 5-5, and they came back from that game. They were down 5-2. They came back, and it's amazing how Alonso has all these home runs late in the game. I mean, you can't say enough about what he's done so far. And even Jeff McNeil. I mean, this guy, who has been a late bloomer to say the least, is batting 360. Not a power guy, but he makes contact. And he's a guy that the Mets... With everything that's going on with this team, as I talked about last week with Frazier, who has not hit to save his life, and then with Lowry who's supposed to be on the mend and coming back, you know, you got to put Lowry somewhere. You can't have Jeff McNeil be the odd man out. So, but again, if you're the Mets, all you hope for over the course of these next 16 games, because starting Friday when they came back after losing two or three in San Diego, and especially on that player when, uh, oh, geez, do I have to even revisit that play again? Where Conforto didn't score on, score on that ball that was hit to the outfield. I think McNeil was the one that hit it, right? Well, it's not my head. I'm trying to think. Uh, it may have been, no, it was a Cano. Well, anyway, but Conforto didn't score on that ball, and that would have, they would have taken the lead, but then Hunter Redfro hits a home run pretty much to uh, Del Mar, and then the Mets lose. Come home, they trounce Miami in the first night, eight runs in the first inning. Zach Wheeler's performance was phenomenal. And then Jake was Jake as he shuts down the lowly Marlins. And then yesterday was rained out. But with this stretch coming up for this team, because now they go to Washington for three, they go to Miami for three, and then they come home to play Washington for four, Detroit for three. And this stretch was now 15 games because they didn't play the game yesterday against, let's face it, not good teams. This is where they need, just like I said last week, they need to put a streak together. Because they can't win one, lose two. All right, they win two, then they lose three. And then now they've lost four, but they've won the next two. No, that's not going to cut it. Not to say they got to win 12 in a row or reel off nine straight. But can we win series? Let's just do that. Let's start there. As much as I'd want to get that four, five, six, seven game winning streak, just win series. 
So go to Washington, win two out of three. Go to Miami, who you, had, you haven't lost to this year. All right, they got to beat you at some point. So get win two out of three down there. And then you come home, Washington, win three out of four. Guess what? That's seven and three right there. And then Detroit comes in, you win two out of three. There you go, nine and four. So now your record looks a lot better. And then you add the two wins with the Marlins. So guess what? Those 15 games are 11 and four. Looks a lot better than being as inconsistent as they've been, correct? So that's what you got there. And in the East, you know, the Phillies have been playing, you know, the Phillies are all right. I mean, obviously they've been doing well, even with Harper not playing well. I understand he finally got back. He had a grand slam there the other day in St. Louis. And then the Braves are starting to play a little bit better. Nats have been awful. I mean, the, the Nats, I know Dave Martinez was the first guy. A lot of people think he's going to be fired and, and rightfully so. Now we understand no Harper and they've had, they've suffered a lot of injuries too. Rendon was out of lineup for quite some time. Trey Turner, also Juan Soto, but with that pitching staff, they should be in a lot of these games. And, you know, Scherzer hasn't been that good. He hasn't been his usual Scherzer self. Corbin has been okay, but, and, you know, their bullpen has been dreadful. So they've got off to a start that they certainly couldn't ever imagine considering all their acquisitions this offseason. And baseball right now, the Central, St. Louis, Chicago, Milwaukee, looks like it's going to be a uh, fight to the finish there. You figure the Dodgers will be in control. Padres will be in the mix at some point. I mean, that's your baseball this early on. So the Red Sox have come on. Twins have been good. Obviously, the Astros have been probably, eh, maybe with the Dodgers, best, the best team in the, both leagues. And then you have all the other teams, pretty much as the runner-ups, just trying to creep back up the standings and make a name for themselves as they head into the stretch here where Memorial Day is pretty much that barometer. When you know pretty much the type of team you're going to have. Now, I understand you have the trade deadline, what you're going to do there as far as any reinforcements or try to strengthen your team as you get into the home stretch or deep into the pennant race. But still, it's very rare where you get that team that gets off to that hot start that they cool off considerably. Because generally, if you get off to the hot start, you're going to cool off, but you're pretty much going to stay at that pace the rest of the year. Same if you got off to the slow start like the Red Sox, but now you expect them to take off. Not to win 108 games, but who knows? Maybe they'll be in the hunt to win a division again just like they did last year, going away. So Memorial Day is that good barometer to kind of get a sense for how your team is, what you think your team can be leading into June, July, and then hopefully if your team's in the mix, there'll be more buyers than sellers, and then you just take it from there. All right, a few other things I want to wrap up with. Some NFL stuff. Kyler Murray signed his rookie deal with Arizona, so obviously the spotlight is on him and his coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Again, this is well down the road, but we all know a lot of these picks are going to get signed right now as they head into a mini camp, which will be, I believe, in about three weeks. Usually the first week of June. So just something to think about. The Jaguar linebacker, Telvin Smith, is taking a year off of football. And I understand a lot of fans, they're just crazy. And that's why they're fans. Criticizing him, saying, oh, how could you give a football? What's wrong with you? But hey, he feels that he needs a year off. He's got to take time with his family and for his health. Hey, good for him. Now, I understand, bottom line, it sucks. But guess what? You're not the one that has to strap on pads and go through these gruesome work, you know, grueling workouts and have to literally make like a car and be a crash test dummy over and over and over again. And I understand a lot of these fans that are probably trolling on social media are probably anywhere between 18 and 25. And you may you probably got some guys older, but if he wants to do that and step down and maybe come back a year from now, who knows? Maybe more players will do that considering 
everything that's happened over the years with concussions and with mental health and things of that nature. So if he has to get himself right, then more power to him. And people can say, oh, Jay Reels, yeah, what if that was your team? What if that was Juju Smith-Schuster? What was? Uh, what if that was, I'm not going to say Devin Bush, he just got drafted, but let's just say a guy of that ilk, or Ben Roethlisberger, hey, you want to take a year off? Well, obviously he's not going to take a year off. He's 37 years old. He might as well just retire and then take a year off. But it's if it was Ben in his prime, yeah, it would suck. But if he came out and said, guess what? I just can't do it right now. My family needs me. Not only that, but I, I'm not in the best of health or best, whatever it is. What are you going to do? You can't tell the guy, no, you, you signed your contract, you got to play. It's his right. And I understand, I'm sure he's probably got to give back some of that money, whatever the money that is owed to the cap or what have you. Because you know the union's going to come after, or the owners are going to come after him as far as maybe getting some of that money back. But hey, it's his prerogative, his decision. Why are the fans going to get on this case? You know, they're probably wrapped up in a stupid fantasy. Oh, I got my Jaguar defense. I need to have him on there. Hey, give me a break. And then uh, Odell Beckham Jr. with his comments about the new Patriots. And I understand he retracted by saying, no, we want to be like them. Obviously, we don't have the Super Bowls. We don't have the hardware, blah, blah, blah. But I think we have the talent. Well, listen, you want to hear that from your top players. And granted, he hasn't taken one snap with this team as of yet. And we all know about the potential for this team and what they have and everything they've done this offseason, et cetera, et cetera. We get that. But he could have used a different analogy. And he didn't because the Patriots are the standard. Everybody wants to be the Patriots. But guess what? Not everybody is the Patriots. And I could say, of course, the coach. And I could say, yeah, the quarterback. But here's the bottom line, people. The reason why the Patriots are so good. And again, the coach and the quarterback are this high and everybody else is down here. We get that. But the bottom line is, is look at how they structure their salary cap. Why do you think a lot of guys, when they get their big deals, they go elsewhere? Because the Patriots and their hierarchy, they know that as long as we got the quarterback in place and he's making well below any of the top quarterbacks are getting paid in the league. And people could say, oh, Brady is, he's 45. He's not going to make, oh, he's 42, however old he is. He's not going to make 30 million a year. I understand that. But guess what? Even if we were to make 20, 18, he's not even getting that. He's probably getting anywhere between 10 to 12 million. So guess what? That means... For any of the other, whether it's your draft picks that you bring bring aboard, whether it's some of the other low-level free agents, yeah, they bring those guys, and guess what? In that system, they kill it. Because they don't hemorrhage their cap by bringing in two players that are going to make a zillion dollars with a $500 million signing bonus. That's why. Think about it, people. And that's why they've been successful year after year after year after year after year after year. And again, the coach and the quarterback are critical. We get that. But if I were to ask you who's the top paid player on the team, of course you say Brady, but how much? People probably say, oh, I don't know, 25 million, 20. No. He's making probably half that and the other half's going to everybody else. To the guys that are football players and versatile football players and winning football players. Uh, Let's see, what else we got? Oh, two last things here. One, the PGA. I know all the hype is going to be here out in Long Island, Beth Page Black, where Tiger is actually, they even just read a report before I recorded this where he has been practicing in the rain, in the cold, and when you see that, you know that something special could be on the horizon. I'm not going to say it's definitely going to be on the horizon, 
The weather for the rest of this week, starting Wednesday, is going to improve. The weekend is supposed to be beautiful. I saw 72, 74 and sunny with some clouds. Uh, 68, like upper 60s, Thursday and Friday. So you, you should have good weather after you go through this disgusting spell after tomorrow. Because I believe 65 then on Wednesday and then it's supposed to improve from there. If Tiger's out there with a windbreaker and gloves and just whatever he's doing, driving and putting and short game and all that, then the rest of the field has to take notice. I can't sit here and say to you right now that Tiger's going to go out and win. I hope he's in the mix. I hope he's on close to the leaderboard on Sunday. I think the golf world will want to see that. I think the sports world will want to see that. Now, are we expecting a Tiger slam this year? No. Definitely not expecting that. But you just want to see him be part of the leaderboard. Let him be a couple strokes behind. Because we all know the guys like Brooks Kepka, the Ricky Fowlers, the Rory McIlroy's, you know, all the top guys, you figure they're going to be somehow, somewhere in the mix. Maybe sprinkle in Phil Mickelson if he gets his act together. And you just hope to have a thrilling tournament. Now, remember, they moved the PGA up to May, where it's usually later in the year. They want to have a consecutive with next year, obviously, or next year, next month, the U.S. Open, which is usually around Father's Day weekend, followed by the, which is once the former British Open, now it's called the Open. So, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen. It's all going to take place Thursday right here. And I will certainly dissect it next week when it comes around. And one last thing before we go. The Preakness. I'm sure nobody's going to watch this. Considering everything that happened with the controversy with Maximum Security. As we know, Maximum Security has been pulled from the race. The winner of the Kentucky Derby Country House. They withdrew from the race. So pretty much what you're going to watch there is a bunch of horses that... Right, they'll be down in Pimlico. I'm sure the weather's going to be beautiful. Excuse me, but when you don't have a horse that's going to go for the second leg of a triple crown or the odds-on favorite. Now remember, the favorite for last week going into the Kentucky Derby was a horse by the name of Omaha Beach, which had to withdraw because of breathing issues. And just that alone, they should just shut the whole thing down. But of course, they're not going to do that. But my... Be it as it may, it's a thing where you had the top horse had to pull out. The winner, the original winner, was DQ'd. And it's not going to be in this race. And then you have the winner by default is not going to participate in the Preakness. So you're just going to have a hollow race and ratings are probably going to go plummet. And nobody's going to care. And that's all you have. I mean, what, what more can be said there? All right, so let me wrap this up then with my hero and zero of the week. As I like to do. I know last week, I don't know, I was off out of space somewhere. So my hero of the week is the one Albert Pujols. Pujols is now the third player in Major League Baseball history with 2,000 RBIs. And he did that with a home run at his age. Now we all know Pujols, not the same player. He's 39 years old. He's pretty much, he does play first base, but he's a DH at this point. But for him to make 2,000 RBIs, only A-Rod and Hank Aaron are ahead of him. Uh, Just speaks for the career that he's had. And kudos to him. Tip your hat. Uh, Hall of Fame career, first ballot, lock. There's no question about it. So he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, and I know it's going to be kind of messed up, but let's face it, he has had a rough few months, and that's a one Chris Tapps Porzingis. We get the whole situation with the Knicks and how that unfolded with Scott Perry and Steve Mills, how he's not yet running, and then meanwhile, he's on Instagram on a track somewhere trying to show and prove that, oh yeah, I'm ready to go. 
But then it seemed like minutes after that, he goes to the Nick front office and says, I don't like the direction that we're going. Two minutes after that, he gets traded to Dallas. And then once he gets traded to Dallas, I believe it was a management thing, but then it later comes out that his brother, which is his, I guess, pseudo agent, and some of his people say, oh no, we just want to take the rest of this year off. We want to get his body right so he could come back in 2019 and 20, lock stock, ready to go, and that's that. Eh, all right, we understand. But then there's this alleged sexual assault that took place February of last year with this woman at the building that he lived in and there was supposed to be some money exchange and extortion and all this other stuff considering what happened and I talked about it on a podcast when it first happened but that kind of got swept under the rug like nobody even talked about it I understand he's not a New York Nick anymore he's a Dallas Maverick so although that happened on his watch as a Nick but now he's in Dallas it wasn't really even brought up or discussed and then now he's in this predicament where he got into a fight in Latvia with some Russian guys that the report was and you can't even make this up if you tried the report was the reason why they attacked him was because they didn't like that he wanted out of the Knicks that he they were upset because he left the Knicks and wasn't part of the Knicks anymore so I guess they felt the right to jump him where he had a bloody face his t-shirt was ripped there was some video that was taken I guess by some bystander which in this day and age, everybody, of course, whips out their phones instead of calling for help or anything like that. But this is 2019. This is the world we live in. But Christoph Porzingis cannot seem to shake whatever it is he's been trying to shake ever since he's left the Knicks and pretty much those final days of, as a Nick to today. And the reason why I say zero, I'm not tr- trying to say that he's a zero because he's not. We understand the type of talent he has. We get that he has this cloud that's over him considering his brother, and now they're trying to dictate all these different terms for a guy that, let's face it, has done nothing in his career except have a handful of some games that were extraordinary. But for whatever the reason, Chris Stapps, hopefully this will be the wake-up call to just, hey, I understand you got to have fun and go out. Nobody's telling you not to do that, but you know, have some people with you. And I understand he's in his hometown. Nobody thinks he's going to get jumped, but man, that's just, it's just uh, bad optics. And you just hope he gets himself right and ready to go as he uh, prepares for an upcoming season, which is not going to be for another few months. So that's going to be it for this pod, people. Uh, Thank you once again for downloading and listening to this content. This is episode 69. So for you first-timers, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe. Come on back. I'll be here each and every week. I'm even trying to up the game a little bit more, working behind the scenes. I may actually try to squeeze in another podcast, do two a week. The other podcast for the week I want to do is more of a guest. But again, still trying to hustle. And when you're independent, and you're unknown and you're trying to get your name out and so on and so forth. A lot of people that I've reached out to, they're going to look at me and be like, who is this guy? How many people follow you? So on and so forth. So I'm trying to build people. And I know it's been a year in the game I've been doing this, but still, I hope you could just stick with me and subscribe, leave a review, post a rating. All that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others in the sports podcast universe. And obviously, that's what I want to do. Just increase the popularity. So if you could do that, tell your friends, tell Loved ones, people who love sports, like sports, are interested, whatever it may be. The casual fan, the diehard. If you could do that for me, I greatly appreciate that. And you could get that whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify. That's right, I'm even on Spotify. So if you have a playlist, guess what? All you got to do is look for the J-Rules Podcast, subscribe there, and you'll get your podcast. Or you'll get it once you subscribe. The minute it posts up, it'll be right there waiting for you on your phone, tablet, wherever you download your podcasts. And... Please check my social media accounts for any questions, comments, criticism, praise. You want to send a DM, send me a message, an email, whatever it may be. You could do that at J Reels 
on Instagram, JReels1, just the number on Twitter, the JReels Podcast on my Facebook fan page, and the JReels Podcast at gmail.com for any in-mail, uh, email inquiries. And again, it goes without saying, people, how much I enjoy putting out this content each and every week for you guys as I discuss everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the hardwood, the world of the gridiron, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Rose Podcast, on the flip, baby.